0: did you clean that pipe of course he didn't he did not i know he didn't
1: i like how you say it like there's like maybe cheeto dust in it some like (laughs) coca-cola residue and maybe like some probably
2: ashes of someone's family or something
1: (laughs) oh no whoa who would pack their (laughs) pipe with their family i
3: don't know what happens in palm springs i gotta go okay bye guys Yeah. get out of here daniel
1: talking about, I hope it continues to be, but this was our second annual 70 millimeter Palm Springs getaway, which we did at the beginning of May, 2023, the 5th, 6th, and 7th. And everybody who is on this show today uh, was there. Daniel Ott, who normally is one of our regular contributors, was working in Los Angeles. So he will not be on today's show. He will return for Secret Movie Club Podcast 152. Most importantly... We have Secret Movie Club team member, Marina Sakamoto. When you heard the theme song this time, it wasn't our regular theme song, it was Marina is a singer-songwriter and her band Shunken just dropped their new EP on Bandcamp and you heard this song, Human Client. So give it up for Marina Sakamoto.
0: Ooh. Wow. Thank you so much, guys. It's an honor to be
1: here. And Marina's also on the Secret Movie Club team. You may know Marina as always dressing as well and conscientiously as Edwin does (laughs) not. Somehow she almost compensates for Edwin's total lack of dressing up whatsoever for any Secret Movie Club event. Marina's always... best dressed if this was high school you would win best dressed among wow
0: thank you so much that wouldn't be the case in high school but i appreciate that we are the yin and yang of a secret movie club i'd say in the fashion department but i try to help i try to help i try to help you
1: know you're also like overly conscientious marina which is something that Edwin does not suffer from whatsoever.
0: We balance each other out oddly well, I'd say. It's like say. a proof
1: of how the universe, it totally is. You've so just true. proven Taoism. You've proven Lao Tzu right here. I've been trying to do that for years. We had Edwin, and the universe was like, got to give him Marina. And so then you came back... <laughs> Yes. And who else is with
4: us today? Hey, gamers. It's me, Connelly Cruz, the People's Champion. Here with the guy I wish would be better at cleaning his room, Edwin Gomez.
3: Smoking his pipe he bought in Vegas. Well, Bunch it's thing. actually it's out. But hello, America. You know, it's another day. Another $1,000. Oh. You know, sometimes I feel like Burt Lancaster, you know, because I could oddly do an impression of Burt Lancaster now. It's well, Let's hear it. <laughs> Craig. Craig. I run an airport out there in Illinois, out there in the middle of the snow yard. And I own a baseball field. And I'm a ghost out there in the fields. It's like an old field of dreams. That was
1: good, Wow, Edwin. wow. I was ready to call shenanigans, but that was Burt Lancaster. Yes. That was great. You are probably our best at impersonations on the team, I think, Edwin. We haven't had one in a year or two. Yeah,
3: I know. It's, you know says, like, I got stuck with the American man, because, you know, America needs me, man. It needs America. to be saved.
1: That sounds like your <laughs> campaign slogan.
3: America and needs Ligone's saving.
1: 2032. <laughs> America needs me. <laughs> I get a laugh out of Edwin, but it doesn't feel like an earned laugh, if you know what I mean, audience. <laughs> uh, all right. It's assisted. It's assisted. My name is Craig. I'm the founder and programmer of Secret Movie Club. This week, Secret Movie Clubbers, uh, by the time that you hear this, it'll be Friday or Thursday uh, night. I always love that Connor drops these late Thursday because it's what I listen to on my ride home from working. This is the first night of our two Friday night, consecutive Friday night, uh, Sophia Coppola miniseries. We're doing tonight, Virgin Suicides, her debut feature, and then our second movie, her one and her two, Lost in Translation, both on 35 millimeter. And uh, that's right, tomorrow, I'm looking at how many, I bet you we still have tickets, but we are actually already over, by the time we're recording this, we're getting to 40% sold on the seven and a half hour Bellatar, Satan Tango. God. If you decide like, F I'm gonna rock it, We are gonna start at noon, first three hours, then we're taking lunch, next two and a half hours, then we're taking dinner, final two hours, and then champagne is on me. Seven and a half hour, Satan tango. Uh, that Saturday the 20th. On Monday the 22nd, Kyle Ayers returns with movie trivia sorta, which was tons of fun. So if you're looking for, hey, you know, I want to come to the Secret Movie Club, I don't know that I want to watch a movie, but I'd love to meet people and have a great time, maybe be on a team and drink and just chill and do movie trivia, but also maybe meet the love of my life because maybe they're into movies too. Maybe I'm over promising here, but Kyle is very funny. We had such a successful debut movie at Trivia Night that it's now monthly. So, That's going to be Monday, May 22nd. And then Wednesday, it is Alex Olivier's birthday, and we are going to screen Samurai Rebellion on 35mm and Lady Snowblood, which will be DCP. But Alex picked that double bill for his birthday, and that'll be Wednesday, May 24th. Thursday, we continue our... I wanted to look at female-driven films, but I wanted to go backwards in time. So the first that we did was Lady Bird and Booksmart. And now we're going back to the. Actually, they were made within a year of each other, interestingly, 40 years back. Norma Ray starring Sally Field and A Coal Miner's Daughter about Loretta Lynn starring Sissy Spacek. With both those movies, I wanted to focus on performances, female performances that are auteur. I think Sally Field's Norma Ray performance and Sissy Spacek's Loretta Lynn performance are auteur level performances. And then the final of that will be in June when we go back another 20 years. To this Czech film called Daisies that's incredible on 35, directed by Vera Chitlova and Agnes Varda's debut feature, Cleo, from 5 to 7. By the time you hear this, we'll have just celebrated Marina Sakamoto's birthday with (laughs) Ghost World and Mystery Train on 35mm. Uh, But by the time they hear this, it'll be over. But Marina, how was your birthday?
0: Oh, man, it was just exquisite. I remember all of it, and it definitely already happened. And it was such an awesome time. I, too,
1: (laughs) remember it through a glass darkly, yet vividly. And intensely. Great picks. Oh, thank you. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. You can find out everything we do at secretmovieclub.com. Go to our calendar and you can buy tickets at Eventbrite. And if you like what you hear, Secret Movie Clubbers, we would greatly appreciate reviews. So uh, review us on Google or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It all helps. And if you don't like what you hear, write me and tell me how we can make it better. We are recording this, actually, just a few days after we went out to Palm Springs, about a two-hour drive from Los Angeles. I
4: still have my sunburn. Me
1: too, (laughs) me too. Uh, We went out May 5th, 6th, and 7th back to the Palm Springs Cultural Center and their historic Camelot Theater, which was built in 1967, and still has the 35, 70 millimeter Norelcos that played their debut, Dr. Zhivago. And we showed on them this year, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master on 70, James Cameron's Titanic on 70, and Stanley Kubrick's uh, 2001 on 70. And for people who are real techno movie nerds, Titanic was shot on a format called Super 35, which is actually where you use a lot of the negative, more negative than most people use. And then you can either make 35 millimeter prints out of that, or you can blow it up to 70. And the blowup looked incredible, but Titanic was not shot on 70. It was shot on Super 35. But anyway, I'm just gonna, we all went out there. Marina, Connor, Edwin, Edwin, Alex, Marina's husband, Dave. And Stephen Brownlee all stayed at the Extended Stay America, which I heard was really close to the movie theater. Very close. Yeah, that was sort of the intention. I was with my entire family. And it was a great time. But when you have a big family, it's always tough. My, my brother, and, not my brother, actually, but his son, my nephew, Nico, he came and then got sick. And they had to go right back. <gasps> and it bummed oh, me out. No. And he came for Titanic. And he, he was there Friday night. My older sister, Janelle, my brother-in-law, Andy. Anyway, uh, we went out there second year in a row. We showed three movies on 70. It is as close as we come to a film festival right now for Secret Movie Club. It was our second year doing it. Connor and Edwin have worked both years. This was Marina's rookie year.
3: Look, I said it before. I'll say it again. Man, 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 mad world would have been amazing oh on that motion picture screen, man. Would have been one of the greatest <laughs> <cinema> <laughs> screenies of all time. <laughs> Connor!
0: <laughs> I mean, you just... there would have been like a crowd of... <laughs> Maybe there would've been a crowd of like five, 10 people. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong.
3: It would've been a sold out show. It
1: could have sold out in that area. You're right, you're right. In Edwin's defense, and I mean this, uh, I always mean it, that's a dumb thing to say. My stepdad used to point that out. Never say to tell you the truth or I mean this because it implies that there are times you don't. And I was like, that is very smart. And uh, Henry, my stepfather was a second father to me. And I was like, you're right. And he was a very honest man, by the way, a uh, very good man. In Edwin's defense, A lot of Mad, 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 Mad world was shot out in the California desert near Palm Springs and the Palm Springs crowd skews older they may very well, like, come out in droves for it. And I personally like that movie. So I'm going to probably at some point program it because I can get a 70.
3: So anyway, get Mad Mad World in there or else I'm going to cause some trouble. But anyways, uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, Palm Springs, man. Hell of a town. Hell of a town. 50s are still alive out there, man. You know, how Portland is like the 90s. You know, Palm Springs is like the 50s in my eyes because has the grooviness of the 50s and 60s, man. And it was still alive. We were, like, back there, you know. Just grooving it out, man. It's cruising, smoking, watching. It's incredible times, man. Uh, me, Marina, and Dave was, went scrolling the town. Went to a uh, record store. Where Marina got a full set of lobby cards, a close oh, encounter yeah. to the third kind, which oh, I'm yeah. very mad about still.
1: It was a steal. Oh, she scooped you, homie. Sorry. Meanwhile, you bought a poster for a Jack Lemmon movie. I'd never <laughs> heard
3: of Yeah, I know. Me either. Me either. And also Brazil, <laughs> which is going to be going up in the club very soon when I come by and drop it off.
4: It is cropped. It's missing the top.
3: Yeah, but still, it's, it's so great though. I don't care. But the movies though, you know, I haven't seen the Master in a long time, but it was it was appropriate to see on 70. <sighs> Yeah, not a great picture. I just, I just can't. I got a post for it. It went up and um I don't know, man.
1: I happen to have Paul Tom Anderson Paul Thomas Anderson right here. Good good. Good one. Why didn't you like my movie? <laughs> i did a little
4: research we actually right at the beginning of the pandemic on podcast 18 talked about uh many films from the 2010s you can actually go to tinyurl.com smcpod pod 18 and it'll take you right to it yeah we talked about that and scott pilgrim and a couple other movies that edwin didn't like and uh we talked about 2001 on episode 60 which you can do the same thing tinyurl.com smc pod 60 We talked about director runs, or we talked about 2001 and Dr. Strangelove. And then, of course, we did it last year. We talked about 2001 on Podcast 105 for last year's Palm Springs, because it was the one movie we showed both times.
3: Mash looked beautiful. I will say that it shot well. Philip Hoffman was amazing. I did not like Joaquin. I think he was miscasted. He looked too much like Daniel Day-Lewis from uh, There Will Be Blood. And his face just looks like Matt Dillon for some reason. I don't know. This is weird. But in my opinion, the best screening out of that event was Titanic. Titanic was incredible. Like, that's the most gorgeous 70 millimeter print I've ever seen in my life. I know I was telling you this, Claire, I, I There is some stuff in that movie I never noticed before. And after watching it, I I spot a couple of things where during the shipyard when it's about to take off, you look at the background, you can see parked cars and a little desert where, where they were shooting. When the camera pans uh, from the front of the boat up to like uh, where the captain is, you can clearly tell those people are CGI. In the 35, you don't see that. When you see the 70s... Yeah,
1: no, I noticed that, too. They're mid-90s computer people. Yeah,
3: (laughs) I I never noticed that until the 70s. They look like Sims. By the way, I mean, we're
1: not knocking James Cameron. At the time, nobody noticed that. No, no, no one did. In 1997, everyone was like, what a
4: shot. And it's fine. Like, you notice old movies' effects. I don't know. People who get hung up on that, I think, can go... Go flip off,
3: <laughs> eat my shorts. The the scene where uh, David Warner's character uh, sees Rose getting on a boat with Jack and Billy Zans, uh was about to get on a boat, and he says the hell of it. This is a line I, I didn't think David Warner said, but when he runs off, he goes and says whoa i never heard him say that at all not even the dvd or 35 i never noticed him saying that until it's 70. now i think that's the, the proudest moment in my life to see that scene and hear him say the actual word proudest moment of your life yeah, it was great.
4: I'll cut in to talk about Titanic a little bit, because that's the one we haven't talked about on the podcast. And and specifically, we had no first reel in 70 millimeter. And so we got a beautiful 35 millimeter print of their first reel. You said it was their show print. Yeah, Paramount
1: gave us their show print.
4: Which is the top level kind of print, you know, these show at the premiere and then that's usually it. Typically. And what was cool, I didn't watch the full movie, but I did sit in for a couple minutes of the end of the 35 millimeter reel and see the switch from 35 to 70. And it was really cool seeing that and like actually getting to see the difference because the 35 looked great. But it was, I've described it probably to all of you multiple times this way, but I can immortalize it now on the podcast. It was like looking at a really nice. Photograph of somebody, and then lowering it, and then almost like an Edgar Wright or like Wes Anderson gag, they're framed exactly like that <laughs> behind. The photograph. Suddenly you were looking at a photograph and now you're just looking at the real thing. It was really cool to see. I think that was maybe my favorite part of the whole weekend, to be honest. That and floating around in the pool for like two hours and uh, <laughs> getting really sunburned. I, I had a beach goth look. Edwin here said I looked like a tourist, but I had a black tank top <laughs> and uh, black swim trunks with white palm trees. And it's been a long time since my shoulders have been exposed to the sun and they're really upset about it. Did you get
1: the kind of sunburn where you can like put your finger on it and it'll stay white and you feel a little
4: like crispy? It's not quite that bad. Oh, I can see it. Yeah, you can see it for sure. I don't know if it like stays white that long. See, it goes away. It's not too bad. Yeah, you didn't get burned too bad. Because my my forearms and face also got a little burned, but they're used to being in the sun. So they're not upset about it because I wasn't out there that long. Glad you had a meeting with your appendages and they told yeah. you they're not they're not angry
0: so i don't believe i've ever really been to palm springs and it was a fun drive up we went to see the dinosaurs that was a good time i've
1: never been there either at cabazon we should tell people oh just before yes. you drive into palm springs you pass the morongo casino and just behind the morongo casino is the cabazon dinosaurs made famous by Pee Wee's big adventure uh and uh
4: Edwin. He made Marina stop there the same way he made me stop there last year. Oh, he made me (laughs) stop there as well. (laughs) Tradition, man.
0: I've never been. It's all right. I got some good pictures, and uh, they're a lot of fun. You can go inside. I believe it's the Stegosaurus. I might be wrong. There's a
4: Burger King right there, I think. Oh,
0: yeah. Legendary Burger King. um, (laughs) Took a crown, as one should. There was, like, a leak on the roof, and we were like, is someone on us it was
1: very strange but
0: yeah that was fun <laughs> wow yeah
1: lots of character that's out scary, there that's scary dude at cabazon who just pees <laughs> on people from the roof of the oh yeah chain.
0: Oh, yeah. Everyone knows he's very infamous. Yeah. Almost as famous as the dinosaur. But yeah, I think my favorite screening was probably Titanic. Yeah, seeing that crossover was fantastic 35 to 70. And I know that they had to do a lot of work on the machine or the projector to do that crossover, screwing things in and out and making sure that the right parts were in. I thought that was really impressive. And I know Lauren, who is from the uh, Cultural Center, she took a great uh, video of of the projector while it was uh, screening Titanic and it looked very cool. And we also became friends over the weekend as well. That was really cool too. So <laughs> those, those are my highlights. Uh, Just
1: a quick shout out to Lauren Wolfer. Yeah. The only reason we're able to do this is Lauren Wolfer, who uh, is one of the people who runs and programs the Palm Springs Cultural Center, the theater manager, Eric, the whole Palm Springs Cultural Center team treat us amazingly. And Lauren now is doing incredible programming out there. And we like to think of the Palm Springs Cultural Center as a sister cinema. And Lauren always actually has really good feedback and advice on how to make it better and better. And she's just a wonderful person.
0: Yeah. We had a great conversation at the after party at the Ace Hotel.
1: We should tell some stories about that. Oh,
0: I somewhat remember it, but I think I remember the good parts for sure. I had fun, at least. I know Edwin. I got a little aggressive with Edwin. I was calling him names and telling him to finish his drink and and man up and all this stuff. And he did. So I will say you did the damn thing Edwin I'm proud of you you had,
4: had one jacket and coat. <laughs>
0: It wasn't that crazy, but you know. He
4: went back to the hotel room and he, he, in a fury, kicked off his shoes. He started (laughs) screaming about how he hates shoes. (laughs) (laughs) He wouldn't stop. I had to tell him he's going to go to the loony bin.
2: It's
1: interesting because we're creating a film festival, and it's not like any of us are from Sundance or Cannes or Venice or even live in the film festival world. We all are on a team that does film programming, which is great. But there's a number of levels to a festival. There's the organizational. Can you just pull it off? Are the screenings going to go off disaster free? And you're always on pins and needles about that, especially when you're doing special format like 70 millimeter. Then there's just how were the movies? How did they play? How did people react to them level? And then there's the social level, which is what's happening before and after you're going to the theater to work, to do the screening. And that's, you know, what's happening at the hotel, what's happening at the after party, what's
4: happening at the theater at the same time every single time we're doing a movie a play called The Boys in the Band.
1: Yes! I've been waiting. For anybody who uh, listens to us who's not from Southern California Palm Springs It has, as Edwin's already said, a really historic story behind it. Many Hollywood famous folks, that was their getaway. And then a lot of famous Hollywood folks would retire out there as their arthritis kicked up and they didn't want to be in L.A. And so people like Frank Sinatra, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Daryl Zanuck. I mean, you can go on and on. In fact, there's a a part of Palm Springs called the movie colony where they all had their houses. It's very much a desert town, bracketed by book ended by these beautiful, huge, barren desert mountains and palm trees. I don't know exactly the history here. But over time, too, it's become a huge LGBTQ town. A lot of uh, LGBTQ folks love to move out there. The downtown is hip and happening. So Boys in the Band, for people who don't know, was an LGBTQ-themed play from the 60s, I believe, that gets revivals. And while we were there, the Palm Springs Cultural Center, like Secret Movie Club, actually, is not just a movie theater. It's also a community space. They do live music. They do plays. And Boys in the Band was happening, so we eventually learned by the second or third child I think 2001 was when we had it down we would just stand outside and be like boys in the band go down the hallway 2001 go to the table because we had a lot of extremely good-looking men and oh, well-being yeah. men coming in and looking at you we're like I, well yeah I like movies but where's boys in the band
4: and we- yeah <laughs> and then we would see like 20 year olds with like scruffy beards and be like you're here for 2001 aren't oh you? yeah
1: oh yeah you're not <laughs> here for out. boys in the band <laughs> you could tell you could actually was if you could vividly see the difference in the audiences (laughs) and then the after party was hilarious to me because we tried it at the ace hotel the amigo room there was also a wedding there and there was also just people picking up on people singles room there's a dj and liz cho who runs the ace hotel was wonderful to us and i'm really grateful for that also through Lauren, that connection, because we may now be doing something with the Ace in Palm Springs and the Ace downtown. Is Ace has the theater? Ace has the theater. So I just want to thank Liz. But what was so funny to me was I was standing at the door so Marina and everyone could go in. And I had taken the tour earlier in the day and knew that in the back, you just go out to this huge pool area where you could sit in their benches and sort of decompress and just drink which was the whole point of what I thought we were going to do. Edwin did not know that. And so I was standing at the door and Edwin went in and I guess thought it was just this small room where a bunch of single dudes were dancing with a DJ. <laughs> like look, and he came out and he's like, I can't do this. What kind of after I can't do, I gotta go. I gotta, I'm going, I'm going. I was like, Edwin, just get your drink and go out to the pool area. And you went back in one more time and you are like, I can't, I don't, I can't find it. I can't, what do you? And I was like, Edwin. Just go to the back. And then finally, I found all you guys at a ping pong ball table. Although, were you playing ping pong?
4: No, we weren't. There was a single paddle. There was no second paddle or nope. ball. So
1: I was so sad. I found you guys in the image I had. It was kind of sort of a nice little detail. Was Someone had a ping pong paddle.
4: It was me, probably. I think I held it for the longest.
1: You all had your drinks. And I saw smoke in the air. I'll leave it there. And I've never seen Edwin so affectionate. Edwin came up to me at the end and he gave me this big hug where he buried his head in my chest. And he was like, in a very Edward way, he was like, Craig, Craig, (laughs) Craig, you you almost pulled it off tonight. Almost, you almost (laughs) redeemed tonight. Almost, I gotta go. And I was like, wow, that's as uh, close uh, as I'm ever going to get like an I love you from Edwin. Wow.
0: Edwin, I did not see that happen. I mean, maybe I'm not the best to
1: recount it, but that's a step forward for you, Edwin. When Edwin hugs you and buries his head in your chest, that's the good stuff. That's real affection for Edwin.
3: Sometimes, you know, I do a lot of crazy things, man.
1: I will say, actually, as background here for people. I had wanted a different kind of program and had found out, I don't want to say the title because we're probably going to program it next year, but I found out that one of the titles had to be approved specifically by the director and you needed a three-month lead. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not going to happen. So I programmed something else. For people who don't know, 70 millimeter, they're actually only Roger Adams, who was our engineer and projectionist and worked miracles. Roger told me that there are probably about 100 movies that were shot. On seventy, most movies that you can see on seventy were just blown up from uh, thirty-five millimeter prints, and that was mostly done to get better sound. But even the blow-ups onto 70 look amazing. 70 was a format that eventually was modified to become what we know as IMAX. IMAX is essentially a, a version of 70. For anyone who's into still photography, it's the difference between what used to be a 35 millimeter film. 70 just means it's much bigger. The negative's much bigger. So the resolution is bigger. It double size. Double the size. It fills up the screen. And so it's a real treat. It is the gold standard of film to this day. I will say one ta I was going to do was the wild bunch but then it turned out that the wild bunch was on mag sound and the theater wasn't equipped to show mag which was the original way that sound was put onto 70 way back when we are going to try to get the theater equipped to show mag sound but we're not there yet i was also thinking about earthquake which was this uh, famous movie from the 70s disaster movie but that also was mag sound so i can talk about those titles because those weren't director approval contingent titles But we ended up going with, well, let's bring back 2001. Let's show The Master, which I am a big fan of, and Titanic on 70. So that's how that came together. Maybe no surprise. Our smallest audience was The Master. Ah. Our medium-sized audience, interestingly, was Titanic. By like a factor of three, our biggest audience was
4: 2001, where we had over 200 people. To be fair, I would say that Titanic wasn't that much bigger than The Master. Oh, yeah. Only by about 10. I probably talked about it on the previous podcast, but I love The Master. That was my favorite of the actual screenings to get to watch. I love L. Ron Hubbard as he's just like this mid-century raconteur. Weirdly, even though Titanic is more of a crowd pleaser, and I know like half the people leaving The Master were like, I didn't like this. I feel like The Master is a more pleasant film in some ways than like Titanic. Because Titanic ends with like an hour of people dying and screaming and freezing to death and like falling and h- crushing their bones and dead babies in arms in The Master. Master is just like about two guys just can't figure it out, you know? And <laughs> I, I, I... I just I think the master is is a great film. Titanic is a good film that I like, but I like more the scope of the destruction at the end. It, not in the like, not in a masturbatory sense, but in a it's very effective sense. Like the stuff that's the most effective in that movie is when they're not focusing on Jack and Rose, when there's a five, 10 minute sequence where it like cuts to the guys playing the violins, then it cuts all around to all these other characters. And I, I did kind of appreciate the Jack and Rose stuff a little more this time, less so as a romance and more as a Jack is kind of like a manic pixie dream boy and it's about rose kind of coming of age in a way and like becoming fulfilling herself more so than their relationship it looks like a pain in the ass to make Titanic all those scenes in the hallways underwater
0: I was just thinking about it and all of these films have this really wonderful sense of dread I had forgotten how much dread was in Titanic until like Connor said that last hour is nothing but floating corpses and people screaming and there's like a dead baby and I was like oh my god I completely mass panic oh mass panic and we were talking about how that can be the most horrifying thing the most visceral fear that we can experience because it just feels so real it is especially nowadays is probably my greatest fear is, is a public panic or something happening like that but i also like to think that all of these films have this theme of this sort of oceanic uh, like water body of water thing going on where it's very nebulous and like the master has those beautiful shots of the ocean that are just, just were so beautiful on the screen titanic obviously but also just 2001 being in space and how you're just kind of floating in space it is truly a space odyssey and so i felt like it was almost there were elements that were kind of surreal and i love the symbology of bodies of water and and oceans and and stuff like that so i i felt like there was definitely a through line here that i appreciated it
1: wasn't intentional but it was interesting that each movie focused on a change in someone's life happening on a ship.
0: Ah, yes, exactly. And I feel like all of that together with the dread, with the change, and then that kind of unknowing element of body of water, something like that, um, where you just don't know where it's gonna go. I loved all of it. It was amazing. And yeah, 2001 was such a spectacle. It was it was incredible to see. I've never seen 2001 on 70 millimeter. I don't know when I will again, especially on a curved screen like that. It just looked so beautiful. So yeah. All bangers,
1: all bangers that weekend. With The Master, I think the performances in that movie are just fascinating to watch. I'm always reminded that so many directors say that casting is 70% of what they do. And it's directors that, like Spielberg says that. And, you know, Scorsese says that. And you're like, but you're like one of the greatest visual or cinematic. or. But I just think when you, when you have a movie where you've got Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Amy Adams, Jesse Plemons, Laura Dern, I'm fascinated watching them. For Titanic, you guys have have already said it. It played like a horror movie to me this time. It's so weird watching a movie in your 20s. And I remember in my 20s, I was just amazed by the filmmaking, which I think a lot of people were, which was like, oh man, this is incredible. But as a parent, all the kids dying, I mean, if you guys ever have kids, it is unbearable. The dad who grabs his kid and then the water like shoots them away and you're like, what happened to them? kid alone then the mom who's telling this story to her two kids in bed and they're clearly going to die because they can't get out of like lower class and then as you all say then there are all these frozen corpses in the water and they turn over and it's a mother holding her like i can't even get like her dead child and they're frozen so again this is not i'm not being negative this is not a criticism but that movie should have been rated r like (laughs) I'm surprised it wasn't
0: honestly and and it's funny how uh, we were talking about this too over the weekend how when we were kids watching Titanic how a lot of our parents were like oh you gotta close your eyes for the nudity and all of the the (laughs) spicy steamy scenes but then like no one's gonna mention that there's just like this trauma at the end I think that's very interesting how people really focus on that and of course that was special I was talking to Lauren about this too about how when you're a young girl at that time and how like influential and and impactful that was and usually things that teen girls like are kind of undermined but then yeah seeing as an adult you see this other side of it and those scenes that you're talking about Craig, i was just ugly crying like the kids in bed and the couple holding each other i just that's when i was like losing it and i it totally took me by surprise or
4: the scene where one of the guys policing who gets on the boats shoots a man (laughs) and then out of guilt (laughs) shoots himself in the head like as a unreal like 10 year old or whatever like seeing that and like having to comprehend like the position you're put in and guilt and all those things and suicide you're just like what
1: all in real time too it was ugh. i still haven't found the right metaphor for this but james cameron is so good at movie making you know he may not be a poet I mean, he is a poet, but he may not be a Bergman-esque poet because his stuff is always, and I mean this in the best sense of this word, it's always very workmanlike. He's always like, I need this and I need this and you've got to have this. But it always works. So I was laughing at this really dorky scene at the beginning of the movie where the bearded dive guy went in the framing story he's showing old Rose the computer simulation of the boat and he's like, and then it did this. And I mean she lived it. So why are we seeing this scene where he's explaining the explaining how and it's like, and then it broke like this and da 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 da. But I was like, that's brilliant screenwriting. James Cameron is showing us in act one everything we're going to see for real in act three. So we're not questioning anything. We know he said, this is how it really happened. So we can just focus on that. And I was like, that's, you know, I don't know if that was a reshoot or if that was in the original script, but you needed it. And it's a clunky scene because the bearded dude is like, and then her ass went, but you're like, but it serves its purpose. The other thing I wanted to throw out is i never noticed until this time how you could argue that Jack and Rose caused the sinking of the Titanic.
2: I mean, he did. Uh, it clearly (laughs) did. Because
1: I had never noticed it. But if, if, if you watch the movie again, they have sex, this great sex scene in like a car. And before that, he draws her naked. And, you know, like you guys are talking about. And that was great. I was, I'd let my kids watch that in a heartbeat. I'd like, look, two people love each other. And then they express that love physically. That's natural. Everybody does that or whatever. But it's like, that's a natural part of life. But then they go out on the deck cause they escape all the Billy Zane people chasing them and they're kissing. And the guys who are supposed to look out for icebergs are watching them. And they're like, well, that's one way to stay warm. And then they look up and they're like, oh, iceberg. (laughs) (laughs) It was like Jack and Rose. You just killed 1500 people. To be
4: fair, I think doesn't the captain earlier do something that it makes it like. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, he he covers his bases.
1: Basically, there's the engineer and then the, the designer. I can't remember. And the designer, the one who cowardly gets on a boat the engineer goes down with the boat, but the designer tells the captain speed up the engines because wouldn't it be great if we got to New York two days earlier than everyone thought. And the captain's like, well, you don't do that because there's all these dangers. And he's like, Oh, but the ship is unsinkable. And so the captain it's, it's implied that there were a lot of corporate decisions made out of vanity. That that's why they sunk. It's not that the, the guys were watching Jack and Rose. It, hubba hubba hubba. <laughs> but you just watch the movie and it does kind of play because literally the beat is they're looking and then they're like iceberg. Uh,
3: you know how you know how James Cameron is always good with director's cuts. I'm listening. So hear me out. Honestly, I know the movie's like three hours. But I feel like James Cameron should do a director cut in this movie. Because uh, when I got home, I watched a lot of deleted scenes that were so good. There's one scene I really love is where you see the designer being more of a coward and starts to freak out a little bit. And in the next scene, he goes on the boat he uh, where they got rescued and all the people that are on the side just start looking at him like, you did this, you did this. And he's like so guilty. As-. And also there's the alternate ending of the movie, which actually I kind of prefer it because there's more uh a relief for Bill Paxton because he was searching for this, this whole time I, I like that any a lot more I, I kind of wish they stuck with it a little bit is that,
4: is that where Bill Paxton gets to see it at least yeah
1: he does that was the other thing we did talk about the whole movie is is predicated on that they're trying to find this billion dollar jewel the heart of the ocean and then in the movie she just old rose just throws it in the water and my thought is a 45 year old Was like, girl, you could, like, the kids (laughs) who can't drink water in Africa, like, you couldn't think of a better (laughs) thing to do than throw it in the water. You could have given that to a good.
4: She's a white woman who came up in the mid century. And so she's made her (laughs) stuff and supports her family. So it's fine.
1: Talk about white privilege. She throws this thing in the water. That's a billion dollars that could have saved, like, children that don't have drinkable water. And I was like, no. Wrong decision, Rose. Wrong decision, Rose. I feel like everyone felt that way. Even
0: then, I kept thinking about that Britney Spears song where she's like, oh, is that the old lady who drops the jewel in the water or something like that? And I was like, yeah, that's all that people can remember.
4: Belongs in a museum.
0: Yeah. And she has to like climb on the rail and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, she's just going to fall over. Like how <laughs> she's like 101 or something. And- well, you know,
1: the, the original original ending was Jack's body floated up zombie style and then just pulled her in for not letting her onto the door
2: no no and she was
4: like "Ah!" (laughs) this is not a joke but a recent episode of of riverdale that i'm not using this for my segment i do but it involved a comet was coming to hit the town in like 10 hours and two characters talk about how they haven't seen one of them hasn't seen titanic and they're like we should watch that and then it cuts away then it cuts back and it has like that two vhs of titanic and it cuts over and they're crying and they're arguing about the door and i was like riverdale still got it
0: (laughs) <laughs> I think I made peace with that during that screening because they really show that it's the weight distribution that that is the. Yeah. But as we
1: understood it when we were younger, it's like, but there's room. Why? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. No, they they cover it. James Cameron is covered. He tries to get on the door and the door starts sinking. And so he rightfully is like, I'm going to let Rose float on. This.
3: There is a theory. And I think I told Connor this, that Jack is actually a time traveler. Who is so purpose was to save Rose. Because hear me out, there are some things he said that did not exist during that time. Where he says Santa Monica Pier roller coaster was never there, some lake in Pennsylvania was never there, and a couple other things didn't make any sense. So, Jack is a time traveler.
1: Edwin, are you ready for this?
4: Yeah. I'm going to do you one better. Yeah. Titanic 2. T2. <laughs> t2
1: we get to see leo time traveling
4: rose is linda hamilton's grandmother or oh, mother God. or something
1: oh he can connect it all together they
4: descend into ripley and what
1: happens with avatar though what do they what do they call the cat people in avatar no. the navi right oh the navi. yeah the navi yeah how did the navi figure into the i don't know, I don't know. <laughs>
4: okay. they don't okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: I will just say that 2001, you know, it's in my top 10 that I think, ironically, we're not talking about it because we have shown, in all fairness, we've shown 2001 four or five times in Secret Movie Club's history. We've talked about it on other podcasts.
4: Maybe we'll do a special one day. We
1: should. I I will just say that as a movie maker, I had never wanted to shoot a movie on seventy. I love the format, but when I saw 2001 on 70 at the Camelot, I suddenly was like, I know the idea I have. And if I ever am lucky enough to do it, you know, and it's a whole thing about how you'd even get people to show it these days. But 2001 shot on 70, shown on 70 is still, in my opinion, the platinum level of what 70 can do.
0: Hands down, yeah.
1: We had to make a decision. Roger Adams, again, the 70 millimeter expert, he did full rehearsals. Roger did full rehearsals in the movie, which is actually the best way to do it. And he just said, look, I'm playing it at the level that it should be played at. And Kubrick mixed it And there are a few moments that are meant to be assaultive. For people who know the movie, when the Americans touch the monolith on the moon, it shoots off this uh, radio signal to Jupiter. And it like, literally, they grab their ears in the movie. They're like, ah! And Roger's like, it's going to be loud. And then he said, there's some other times and we were trying to figure it out. And I have had such bad experiences most recently at that disastrous bridge on the River Kwai screening at the Million Dollar where the sound was off, where if you play it too loud, people are just like complaining to you. And they're like, why is this so loud? But Roger had the idea of, hey, earplugs. So a half hour before opening, we ran out to a Lowe's and Roger was like, just clutch. He was MVP the whole time. I was like, I'm gonna go to Target because I get earplugs there sometimes in packs of 10. And he's like, no, you need bulk earplugs, go to Lowe's. So we, (laughs) uh, we went to Lowe's And uh, we got them. We brought them back. We told everybody. And even though people had the option to put in the earplugs and they were all grateful to know, I think I saw one or two people in the audience put them in.
4: It was funny. Me and Marina were the one who handed out the vast majority of them because we worked the front table. And (laughs) there was a a lot of also older people uh, in Palm Springs because it's a desert town and it's good on the joints or whatever. And a lot of the older audience members who came, uh, we would say it and they would kind of look and they'd be like, my hearing's bad anyways. I'm good. (laughs) And then... (laughs) (laughs) and then they just walked in and it was typically the younger people who uh uh, took the things but um we got zero complaints nobody nobody walked out and complained i think eric the manager was the only one actually who said anything but alex kind of pointed out it was also kind of fun because it was almost like like a gimmick not in a real way like it was a genuine we were being thoughtful but it's also just like there's something kind of fun like william castle i
0: was just gonna say william castle yeah
4: yeah the result that was
1: interesting was actually everybody was happy. So it was actually a big lesson to me that if you, in a precautionary sense, tell people, then they're prepared for it and you give them the option, then they don't begrudge you. I think what they begrudge you is when there's loudness and they're like, ah, this is assaulted," But everybody knew. All right, pop culture, final thought. Talk about anything you want to talk about that has nothing to do With the topic we just discussed.
4: Shout out. I uh, read, I just read the second arc called Strange Visitor, I think, but Mark Waid's Batman Superman World's Finest is really fun. It's like this uh, new comic very Silver Age era stories where it's very hopeful and colorful and just about Batman and Superman and Robin and their buddies all kind of working together. But just like really, really well done, like really beautiful artwork. Uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D at Tuesday evenings, twitch.tv slash hollow
3: After being Titanic, I, I, I did the unthinkable.
4: You read a long form political thought piece? No, the-
3: no, <laughs> I, no, I, I, um, no, no, no. I watched uh, Michael Bay's Oscar-bait classic, Pearl Harbor. How was that? Um, I hated it. Mm-hmm. Hated every minute of it. He obviously saw Titanic He said, you know what? Let me do my Titanic, but with the explosions. Uh, you could obviously tell scenes he took where Josh Arnett and that girl are in a plane, the sunset. That's obviously the scene in Titanic where they're like, I could fly, Jackson. And yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's a terrible movie. I nice. It makes me mad that a guy like that made that film. Ben Affleck sucked. Also, Cuba Cuba Gooding Jr. was pretty good in it. That's the only decent part in that movie was Cuba Gooding Jr. He acted well, except for Ben Affleck and Josh Joshon. They were just there for like because they were hot at the time. Oh, on, on on the way back from Palm Springs, I was playing some tunes in Marina's car, and there's one particular moment I, I really love it. I, I and we were playing the Close Encounters score. The ending credit, and then it was the sun was just so perfect, and the mountains were just hovering over it. And it was just the most magical moment I have ever experienced in my life. It was so beautiful, and I was very high when that happened. It, it, I was I was emotional, you know. The, the score for John Williams' Close counter was just like wow, just it took me places I never felt before.
1: Too bad she got the lobby cards, me
3: Shut up, Craig.
0: I know he was like, "Can I just have those?" And I'm yeah, like, "No." Typ-
1: typical Edwin move. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In anticipation for my screening, I watched Trees Lounge, um written and directed by Steve Buscemi. Enjoyed that movie. It's a whole vibe. It's just a mood movie. I really enjoyed it. Some elements that are a little provocative maybe wouldn't fly today, but I I enjoyed it. Yeah, at the same time, I never had a dad who is super into classic rock, so I've been having to do that on my own. I was never raised in that way, I had to find rock music my own way, and your so dad I'll...
1: never put on Zep, too.
0: Exactly, I have a, a dad who was like into jazz. He was a jazz dad, so um, didn't have a classic rock dad. So I like just heard Pyromania by Def Leppard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh
1: this is my phase it's happening does that have pour some sugar on me or is that another one?
0: you know i don't remember off the top of my head has a lot has a lot of bangers though that's interesting because that's not my usual wheelhouse of of rock mm, music that's a different uh world. okay yeah that's what i got uh but yeah we'll see i've been just going down the classic rock route i feel like i'm going backwards like i went super sub genres into now The big stuff, the big boys. So
1: maybe that makes you appreciate it all the more, though.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's like reverse engineering a little bit. So
1: yeah, it's pretty cool. There's something kind of cool about encountering that stuff later in your
4: musical journey.
1: I think so. It's an appreciation.
4: Marina, I was if if you're if you're getting into Def Leppard, there's this podcast. These guys, I think, are funny. Did I don't don't think they do it anymore, but called uh, "Till Deaf." do us party where party is spelled p-p-a-r-d-y and it's just them talking about deaf leopard
0: oh my god wow that sounds amazing and i'll definitely check it out because um again this is not the typical i'm into like shoegaze and stuff so this is just like a, yeah but i am totally loving it loving the riffs and i'll definitely check that out
1: we have to stage an intervention if you get into warrants cherry pie <laughs>
0: That's when you'll know I'm like too deep down in the rabbit hole.
1: You're like, guys, cherry pie is better than anything that The Velvet Underground ever wrote. We'll be like, Uh uh uh-oh. Yeah, no, you gotta cut me off, cut me off, yeah. (laughs) When I was in junior high, that was the height of all that stuff. So I remember, because my mom wouldn't actually let me listen to that stuff or get that stuff, and all my friends had NXS Kick, Def Leppard, Warrant, (laughs) Skid Row, Poison. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Yeah, and they'd all and they all had bands. All my friends had bands in junior high that had names like Corruption. And I remember like, I was in sixth grade and Corruption played at Thurston Middle School and all the parents <laughs> were there of the kids and they were like, we are Corruption. And they had a banner and I think they knew like <laughs> one chord. And the guy was like <laughs> And then one guy was just like hitting F minor. So he was like power chords. And then we were all just trying to eat our lunch on the quad. And we were like, we didn't sign up for this free show of Corruption. <laughs> Yeah, the whole glam metal scene. Yeah, that's something. Josh Oakley, who's a secret movie, really making everything run. He's our uh, operations coordinator did a social media post of Scorsese who's shooting a commercial with Timothy Chalamet right now in New York. And you can see it. If anyone wants to Google this, just go Scorsese Chalamet. And I guess a scene was on a subway and Scorsese, instead of sitting in a subway bench, is just sitting in like someone brought him a lazy boy. It's not a lazy. That's not the right way to say it. It's actually sort of Upper East Side, like a really nice furniture piece, but it it looks like his comfy chair brought from his (laughs) you know, his Upper East Side penthouse or whatever. And he's sitting in it talking to Chalamet about whatever the commercial is. And he looks 81. I mean, he looks, he looks like he's 80, 81 years old. He's still probably directing the hell out of the commercial. And it dawned on me that I really got into film and and directors specifically when I was about 14. And Scorsese right at that moment, shaved his beard. This was right before Cape Fear came out. That's really like 91 was when I really sort of became aware of filmmakers. And I remember how Scorsese looked. And then it hit me that I have now aged 35 years with this man, more or less 33, 32 years. I had to deal with the fact that I certainly do not look like I looked when I was 14. And I've looked at some photos people took of me over Palm Springs and I look haggard and exhausted and I need a haircut. And like, I, you know, I've got like things about my face that are aging that I'm not like thrilled about. And I remember when I had that youthful elasticity of my twenties and I'm like, I look 45. Maybe I even look older. I mean, if, ah, if I got three kids and got a fourth on the way. I will say this. I'll try to like memorialize this so that maybe I head myself off at the past. I've never been fans of men who dye their hair. And look, no judgment, by the way. Wait a sec. No judgment. But- I would love to just be like look the best I can be the way I am at the age that I'm at and that you know that also includes exercise and your mental health and like there's a lot of things you can do to have a kind of natural beauty versus like having the plastic surgeon and the you know and the wig maker and the this that and the other and you know and by the way Scorsese's done that Scorsese looks 81 he's (laughs) grey you know he has not done any of that stuff you
4: bring the beard back him and Stephen King late in life because I I think they lost their beards around the same time that's a good probably point. like in the 90s and spielberg's the opposite spielberg got the beard on temple i think the beard looks great on him
1: which is probably why he keeps it he'd, he'd probably still look like he's like 15
4: kate loves it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah tonight bring the beard uh <laughs> the, <laughs> the, anyway uh let's give it up for marina sakamoto the first But
4: not the last time. Thanks
0: so much, guys. Thanks for having me.
4: How do we find your music?
0: You can find my band Shunkan on Instagram. I just changed the handle. It's just at moment in Japanese. That's what Shunkan means. So hopefully that helps you remember and look me up. Um, You can also just follow me on my personal account, Marina Sakimoto, and keep up with what I'm up to and uh, all the shenanigans I get into with a secret movie club. So.
1: We are going to be going out in a moment with Shunkan's song, Killer of My Dreams. Human Client and Killer of My Dreams are on Shunkan's new EP, which you can get on Bandcamp.
0: It's streaming everywhere as well. So if you have Spotify, Amazon Music, Tidal,
1: whatever, it's on there too. So go, listen, listen to it. Uh, marina made it happen and her band Uh, so congrats marina thank you the secret movie club podcast 152 will be about comfort food movies and specifically cameron crowe's we bought a zoo which you will find out take a guess who on the secret movie club team don't shout it out who on the secret movie club team watched we bought a zoo five times within a few weeks We'll leave you on that cliffhanger. As always, I want to thank our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd-Cruz, for editing this podcast. The whole team for working their butts off through thick and thin to make this journey continue and celebrate cinema. You can find out about everything we do at secretmovieclub.com. Go to Calendar to see our upcoming events. Get tickets at Eventbrite, uh, Secret Movie Club, and you can always write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. That is it. All right, guys, have a great week. I'll see you in a week. I love
3: you.
0: That's awesome.
1: You clearly haven't been on the podcast that long.
3: There's always a Coke can in the background. (laughs) It's it's been there for a couple of days. He almost
0: wiped me out at my apartment. It was ridiculous.
3: (laughs) Of Coke? Yeah. Okay. I got the whole season of Mark and Mindy, so boom. I don't have anything.